And so when I went to Western and, and did that double major in African-American studies, I was really able to see the contributions of Black people and what the, we have really had to sacrifice to get where we are today. And we are truly remarkable um, in what we have been able to overcome because really we should have been wiped off the face of the earth, like especially in the United States after all that they've done to us. And so for us to have elevated to where we are and to have so many successful Black people, um, you know, and, and how we have just contributed. I mean, everybody takes from our culture, if we're just being honest. Like, everybody, we are, we influence. Cheat code. Okay. I didn't know that that was a cheat code to law school because I didn't mm -hmm. grow up around lawyers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have lawyers in my circle. But once I, by looking back at it, there were classmates of mine who I was just really confused and frustrated as to why they, I felt like they were so far ahead of me. And that was because they had access to people who had already given them the cheat codes. I didn't know that the professor in Civ Pro has been giving the same tests for the last 10 years. I beat an incumbent, he had been there for 20 years. Oh, wow. And people just were like, there's just no way that, well, some people said there was no way I was gonna pull this off. And I did, and I didn't just win a little bit. I got nearly 70% of the vote. Yeah, go ahead and talk that talk. Yes, talk it. Come on. Yeah. Mogul Motivation. Empowering and inspiring entrepreneurs and dream chasers worldwide, one week at a time. Presented by True Stories Media. And I'm your host, Antoine Twiz Taylor. So I'm ending Black History Month with a two-part series. This is the first installment where I talk with Black millennial lawyers about the obstacles that they face, how they overcame them, and what they did to cope with these obstacles, which ultimately brought them to their current positions in their careers as they continue to strive to make a difference in their lives and their community. This episode is all about the women. I have three brilliant black women, millennial law professionals, and they're going to discuss all of those things and more racism, sexism, but they continue to fight the good fight and make a difference and they will not stop. They will not quit. So here's their stories in great detail about how they got through law school into the law world. So with that being said, I'm going to introduce all of you. Uh, we have Bria Little Esquire, uh, Houston, Hello. Texas. Um, we have Patricia Hudson, Esquire, Chicago, Illinois. Oh. And, and then um, we have, after tomorrow, she will be um, officially recognized as the Honorable Candace Alcaraz, Judge Candace Alcaraz, um, after she's sworn in tomorrow as of this recording. So congratulations on that. Um, that's you. a huge accomplishment. And um so actually, we can just start with you. Oh, well, before we start with you, Candace, Judge Candace Alcaraz, I would be remiss if I didn't say that um, not only are all of you Black women, not only are, are all of you lawyers, but all of you are members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hey, Soros. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be remiss. All of this up a bit. Okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, so... You know, um, it just happened that way. And, you know, so y'all definitely got that in common, too. So with that being said, we can start with you, Judge. Um, yes, I'm calling you Judge. I'm addressing you as Judge on this. So I get tired of me. But that's a huge accomplishment. You are the first Black woman judge in your county, correct? Yes, I'm the first Black female judge in the district, as well as the youngest judge to ever take the bench in the district. 
And what district is this? Where is this at? Uh, this is Wyandotte County, Kansas. So a lot of times, I know I did this myself, as an out-of-towner, we think of Kansas City as just Kansas City, Missouri. But there is a Kansas side to Kansas City. And so it pretty much covers that area. Okay. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Like, is it two different mayors? How does that work? Yes. Yeah, so they really are two distinctive cities. Okay. So Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. And don't get it mistaken out here because the same way, you know, we tell people we're from Chicago and people ask you immediately what side. Mm -hmm. uh, when you say you work in Kansas City, people want to know, are you on the Missouri side or the Kansas side? Right. It matters. They, they it matters. real personal about it. It matters. <laughs> and, um, and also it's interesting to note that all three of you are from Illinois, Bria from Peoria, Patricia and Candace are from Chicago. So with that being said, um, Candace, can you just walk us through real quickly? Um, at what point did you make the decision that you wanted to go into law? Like, when did you say, I want to be a lawyer and why? Ooh, so I went into college thinking I was going to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatrician my entire life. And then I ran into a science class and, yep, had to go the opposite way. So I dropped my major I kind of dabbled in a lot of different things. And then I found my way to criminal justice. At the end of my junior year of college, a teacher sat me down and said, what are you going to do with yourself? And I said, girl, I really don't know. I might go to the FBI. I don't know. I haven't really planned this part out. And she said, no, you should think about law school. And at the time, I gave her every excuse I could think of not to go. And I listened to myself now and I'm like, oh, you were crazy. Because I told her, I said, I'm a woman. I'm a minority. And I don't know too many people that do this. I'm, I'm good. You know, you asking for too much. I was a first generation college student. And now you're asking me to be the first law school student in my entire family. I'm good. Uh, but sure enough, I ended up shadowing uh, some female judges, attorneys, law school teachers in the summer. Uh, even back home in Cook County, I was shadowing uh, Judge Darren Bowden. And the judge next door to him was a black female judge. So it all started to come together. And I was like, oh, this is a possibility. This mm -hmm. is something that I can do. And so the dream was kind of born right then and there. So I applied for schools. I took the LSAT. And here I am today. Okay. 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 Good to know. And we're going we gonna to revisit that in a moment. Um, Bria, can you tell us about what was your motivation and, you know, the inciting incident that pushed you into the world of law? Um, well, for me, I kind of always had it in my head that I wanted to do something in law. So whether that was going to be criminal justice or actually being an attorney. Mm -hmm. So that was, for whatever reason, it was implanted in me from an early age. So um, when I went to Western, I ended up uh, majoring in criminal justice and um, I was still kind of on the fence of which way I wanted to go. Um, but for that particular program in, crim in criminal justice, I had to do an internship and I decided, hmm, let me go ahead and, and do my internship at a law firm. So I interned at a law firm, um, which ended up turning into a summer job. And I was like, okay. I think I want to do this, you know, so I, I, I pivoted. I said, I'm not going to do law enforcement. You know, this is what I want to do. I want to go into law after, you know, having been at the law firm um, for, you know, that semester and onward. Um, so after that, um, 
again started studying for the LSAT. Um, I my mom has is a city uh, uh, works in human resources in the, at the city of Peoria, so she always had good connections with city attorneys. Okay. So I had an opportunity to, you know, I've, I've always uh, known them since she's been working there for over 20 years. So I've, I've been somewhat in contact with attorneys, but after I solidified what I really wanted to do, I started to grow my, my connections right there with the city attorneys in Peoria. Um, so that, and then on top of the studying for the LSAT, applying for law school, and then ended up at Indiana. Mm. All right then. And um Patricia. Um I was trying to figure out what to start in the mess of how I got here while both of you guys were talking. So mm -hmm. I think I'm gonna pick it up where um I had an idea that I wanted to be an attorney when I was probably about six or seven. And it was from strangely enough, the Jim Carrey movie Liar Liar. I don't know what it was about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, I wanna do this. I like this um list. it like I think it was the female character that was like another partner or an associate in the firm, but it was like the way she came into the room was like she commanded the room every time. So then I started to see that other representations of female attorneys, um, it was always as if they weren't overshadowed, they were never spoken over. It was when they walked in, everybody stopped, they listened and they paid attention. So I was like, okay. And then they always had really nice clothes and very expensive purses. And I was like, well, if I could be a lawyer, then I mean, I can get really nice clothes and yeah. really expensive purses. Yeah, That's what that I thought. So we transitioned. I'm a musician at heart. I play six instruments professionally. So that took over my life for about 15 years. So I knew that I was going to be on tour. I was going to play for people. I was like, no, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be a musician. Um, and then I hit high school, senior year, time to apply to colleges. Um, got into some really great music programs, but realized that these universities were taking advantage of music students because you were paying an extra 10 to 20,000 on tuition just to relearn scales compared to somebody who was in liberal arts or education. And I was like, yeah, um, my mama ain't got this bread. Uh, you know, FAFSA ain't do me the way I thought it was going to do. So we need to readjust some things. <laughs> and then I was like, why would I pay y'all an extra 20000 to know what I already know or for you to fine tune it when I can just keep playing with my musician friends and it's nice. kind of iron sharpens iron type of energy. Nice. So I was like, forget music. I'm going to go be a teacher. I'm going to go be a music teacher. No one told me that I still had to take the basic skills test, which included math. And I don't like math. So I was like, <laughs> ah not going to be a teacher, not going to take this basic skills test. So let's go in undecided. Ended up going to DePaul for undergrad, went in undecided and became a sociology major and then started refocusing in like the crime and law aspect of sociology. And I was like, huh, I did say many, many years ago that I wanted to be a lawyer. So let me think of what's next. The other caveat was my grandmother made me a deal. As long as you stay in school, I'll take care of you. As soon as you decide that you don't want to go to school anymore, you on your own. So I was like, well, whose master's program or what can I keep going to? She can keep taking care of me. So I had a mentor in college, uh, Robin Mitchell, my oh, I owe my life to that woman. She was like, look, you need you belong in law school. You know that that's what your focus is. We just need to get you there. So she whipped me into shape, got me for the uh, LSAT. She actually paid for the two times that I took it because I couldn't afford it. Mm. Um, and she made me, I never forget, she was OCD. She had this chart where I had to chart out every single school I wanted to go to, everything that was required for every school. And we had to have weekly check-ins to see if I did what I needed to do in order to meet the application deadline. 
Um, and after all of that, I still ended up right back at DePaul for law mm. school. So double Damon. <laughs> double Damon. You know, it's interesting, like, hearing y'all journey. So it's like, um, Bria, it seems like from a very young age, you were set, like, this is what you was going to do. You know, yes. uh, like you knew this is what she was going to do. It wasn't really like not too many alternatives, right? Whereas mm -hmm. like with uh, Candace and Trish, it's like kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? And, you know, mm -hmm. y'all just landed, y'all just landed in law, you know, um, the L said, so that costs, that costs big money to take this? It don't, uh, in the grand scheme of the bar exam, no. <laughs> you talk when you when you weigh the cost of LSAT and the bar exam LSAT is a diamond as dry with pennies but right, when right. you're a law student I mean a, a college student uh, yeah and you're trying to figure out is this something you really want to do and they put uh -huh. so much weight on this weeded mechanism that you will never use ever again once you get this score you kind of weigh that out especially if you know you're not money ain't that accessible yeah. right and for me I, I don't know if y'all did, but I took a Kaplan uh, prep course and I took it. I, I think I took the LSAT twice and I took that course twice because I was trying to work because how else was I going to pay for the course, which was like thousand dollars and then pay for the test without having a job. And so that's where the law firm money <laughs> helped out at. But yeah, like when you coming out of school and trying to figure it out. It does seem like a lot, but once you get through all the schooling and then come to the bar exam, it's like, yeah, that's that was pennies. <laughs> yeah, the, the LSAT was rough for me. Like all throughout middle school, high school, I did great on standardized tests. Absolutely above average. The LSAT, yeah. listen, um, I didn't have the money to do a prep course, so it was really trial by fire. I was studying mm -hmm. away for it. Um, I want to say I only took it once and it kind of hurt my feelings because my last sister took it with me. She fell asleep and got a higher score than I did. Dang. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just keep focusing on my grades because if nothing else, these straight A's got to be worth something. Yeah. And the way we mm -hmm. went. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you say that because that just made me remember how much focus I put on that test. I also didn't do a prep course because we couldn't afford it. Um, and I was like, let's just, you know, what we can find online, what we can piece together. Yep. And they were like, well, you know, you can take it twice. And they'll report that you took it twice. They'll take the highest score. And I was like, yeah. who's holding the golden nuggets that we just don't have this accessible to us to just mm -hmm. know that? Because I'm like, well, you can only do it once. And they was like, no, just don't take it three times. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let me go ahead and run this back one more time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I took mm -hmm. it that first time. That hurt my feelings. I said, you know what? We just going to apply and go with God. <laughs> we'll and, see what's and, out there. <laughs> and, uh, I, I will assume uh, different law schools have different uh, requirements on the LSAT so like you got to score a certain amount to get into x amount law school is that how that works well that and the money aspect so mm -hmm. if you score high enough even if you know say your grades because you can go you can have any degree and go to law school but it's really they're focusing on that score so mm -hmm. you could score astronomically high on that LSAT and they'll give you a nice scholarship package to come to their school mm -hmm. but then okay. the other wake-up call is once you get there the difference between law school and college is that in college, anybody could pretty much get an A. You just do the work that's assigned to you. In law school, you're also facing off against people who are just as intelligent as you are. Mm -hmm. And so that little bit of effort or maybe it was maximum effort that you put in, like I did in college, is that much more in law school because now you have to maintain this GPA 
and you're playing a different ball game there. And so if you don't keep that GPA now, you do have a whole lot of um, scholarship that goes away and now your tuition is high and now you're looking at six figures on the back end when you finish up. So that's why that score is very, very important because it can lead to a nice uh, windfall for you coming straight through the door into law school. So, yeah, let's talk about law school. Um, Law school is three years, right? Three years. Uh, It's three years, but it could be two years if you do a fast track program. Okay, so let's four years if you go part time. All right, so y'all, that y'all, too. all y'all took the LSAT at this point. Y'all in law school. So Bria, you went to Indiana, right? Mm-hmm. I you, yes. Candace, you went where? Um, I went to Washburn in Topeka, Kansas. Washburn, Topeka, Kansas. Okay, so that's how you ended up in Kansas in the first place. Got it. Yes. Got it. Okay. And then Trish, you went to DePaul. So yeah, let's let's talk about y'all law school experiences, ups and downs, and you know all those hurdles. Open forum. Y'all take it away. I don't know nothing about law school, so. <laughs> um, I'll start it because I still have some hurt related to law school in oh. a lot of ways. Oh. Um, <laughs> not in like crazy ways, but it's kind of like the cheat code. Okay, I didn't know that that was a cheat code to law school because I didn't grow up around lawyers. I didn't have lawyers in my circle. But once I got looking back at it, there were classmates of mine who I was just really confused and frustrated as to why they I felt like they were so far ahead of me. And that was because they had access to people who had already given them the cheat codes. I didn't know that the professor in Civ Pro has been giving the same tests for the last 10 years. So there's an outline that somebody made 10 years ago that they have access to, mm-hmm. that my classmates have access to, that they're studying when I'm trying to make one from scratch. Mm, that's huge. Or, that's massive. Or, you know, really taking advantage of the office hours, which for me was a big hurdle because I, undergrad was easy for me. High school was easy for me. I didn't have to exert a lot of effort to, like you say, be the top student, get good grades. I actually had to learn how to study once I got in law school because I didn't have that muscle once I got in. Um, but it was knowing that all of this stuff is just set and repeat, reset and repeat. And I'm thinking me and my friends, first generation law students, Black kids from you know various areas across the country thinking, Dave, we got to make this outline. And can I copy off yours and you take mine and you take mine when our lighter classmates just seem like they just breeze it on through. And we just really confused as to why we feel that way until a Black professor told us they already got the outline. They had the outlines when they walked in the door. So that whole, they already starting 10 steps ahead. So that's why I'm like, law school was a, I was angry a lot because I just felt like I wasted a lot of time my first year trying to create something where that first year is so important where you get in that high GPA because that's what the summer internships and externships are going to look at. And that's really all they look at, to be honest, at that point where I'm clawing my way at the top and a girl who got the 3.9 the first year and basically slacked off the last two is sitting on a good cushion at Kirkland and Ellis and Sidley Austin and all these big boys, and I'm like trying to figure out what to make it, what to make it make sense. Mm. Yeah, that sounds frustrating as fuck, to be honest. Um, and we encounter that everywhere we go, everywhere. Yeah, that's my that's my law school hurt. I'm sorry, I had to get that out. No, I guess I can go second. So for me, transitioning from college into law school 
uh, it was different because in college, I lived in the dorms all four years. I didn't trust people. I was like, we're not going to get into the, you didn't pay the bill this month. And now my name getting dragged down with yours, mm -hmm. my credit mm -hmm. score. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. So not only was I now moving out on my own as an adult to go and do school, but I was learning other adult things like getting my apartment, getting my utilities, all these little things that come with it. And I was just like, okay, really didn't have a clue about this, but all right, let's go. So I get to law school. And like she said, I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm working real hard over here, real hard, because I'm used to getting certain grades. So what I was using in college and high school to get those grades, it had to change because law school is not take it in and just regurgitate it. It's take it in, learn it. And now you have to apply it to a problem that we've not even covered, but I'm just giving you the tools to answer the question. And so for me, law school was a game of learning how to relearn something and be mm -hmm. able to apply it to real life facts and scenarios. Um, in terms of like the studying though, we had study groups, we had books up in the library. I don't know if you um, you guys' law schools were very competitive, but mine was pretty friendly. So we didn't like steal each other's books. We didn't steal study guides, ooh, we didn't ooh. take. Oh yeah, so like at certain law schools and in colleges as well, they would take, uh, if you go to the library, you could find old tests, you could find old outlines and certain people would take those and hoard them so that you know nobody else gets them because it's not a, we're just playing against the system. No, we're playing against each other. Yeah. And we're both trying to get a high score and only one of us can get the highest score. So that's some of the things that people would do. Uh, I remember one time somebody got the book bag their book bag taken that had all their outlines in it. And this girl nearly had a nervous breakdown in the middle of the hallway. And luckily somebody turned it in, everything was still in there. But then she's like, I've done all this work. I don't know what's been copied or not, because again, we're pitting against each other. So my law school experience, it was friendly enough, uh, but it definitely was hard work trying to figure out the game because you do have people that have those secrets already. And then now you're working just as hard to catch up. And it really frustrated me my first year. It definitely uh, knocked my confidence a bit because like she said, they're looking at your GPA and you're not going to get those like top of the line internships if you don't have a great GPA coming out the gate. And I didn't. So I was just like, well, what am I going to do? And I mean, luckily I found something. I was shadowing an attorney who ended up having like a great practice and he was in all these different areas. So that was a great experience for me, but I had to take classes as well as internship in the summer to get my GPA up, to get mm. the experience that I needed. So yeah, we, we come in behind the curve and then by the time you catch up, now you're in your second and third year mm -hmm. and you, you know the game now. And so mm -hmm. you look back and you get mad all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so I told like my friends who would end up going to law school I'm like listen this is what you're gonna do from day one and all of them have been successful with what little knowledge I had to give them to whatever schools they were going to it's the same game it's just being practiced in different places and on different levels but I gave them what gyms I had and they top students in their classes working for great firms now and I'm just like man I still look back like I wish I had somebody like me telling me how this was gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. But that's, that's my experience. <laughs> yeah. 
basically everything y'all said too. <laughs> but as for me, uh, Indiana is pretty progressive despite the state that it is in. Um, but um, so I didn't have, it wasn't like it was, it was competitive. It was definitely competitive, but not, I hadn't, hadn't heard of anybody stealing anybody's books or outlines. Wow. We were pretty good about, you know, sharing and doing study groups, but it was, and what I learned later on, especially when it came to taking the bar. And I think I was just trying to implement what other people were telling me a little bit too much, because when I took the bar People were still trying to do the study groups. And I'm like, that's not working. I need to do this on my own, yeah. sit alone and figure it out, do this, the study, the practices, and just do it that way. And I think if I would have approached law school that way and I just would have stopped trying to listen to what everybody else was doing, I would have did better too. Because I didn't was not the stellar student either. And it took me a while to until I got like, oh, it's just finally clicking. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that first year, it was hard, like, like you said, like just learning how to now be on your own, even so much so like making sure the apartment that you're living in is not too far from campus. That can be a hurdle because it's like how I can't be on the bus for an hour trying to get to school. And then when I drive, I got to either park in the garage where I, I can't get out unless I wait until after nine o'clock when it's free, or I got to pay to get out if I want to go out earlier, or if I'm paying for street parking, that's however many, you know, dollars per however many hours I can park. So that's money taken away too. Um, and so as far as like, you know, the big part, the tests and what you have to do to, to really get that first grade job or whatever. Um, I learned later on, like people were putting so much emphasis on the outlines and just do your outlines yourself. When I think I would have done better if people would have said, here's how you take a law school exam. This is what you got to look at. This is what you got to do. Uh, go and talk to your professor more. Go and Go to those outlines and the ones that they are published as far as the previous tests that they have already put out there uh, and just do that. I think I would have did way better if I just, yes, I'm outlining, but do the test. Go and do it mm -hmm. so you know how your professor structures his, his or her questions and what they're looking for in terms of their answer and what, you know, they've scored the highest. So I didn't do that. Nobody sat me down and said, look, this is how you take a law school test. Now, when I got to the bar time, somebody did tell me this is how you take bar exam for Texas mm -hmm. in particular. Mm -hmm. And that's how I did great, passed on the first time. But nobody told me that in law school. And so that's what frustrates me. Like, why anybody just tell me this is how you take a law school test. Mm -hmm. This is how you succeed on the test because that's what matters the most. So, yeah. <laughs> ooh. Yeah, the, ooh, yeah, that's a lot. Um, I mean, I feel like the common denominator is it just was nobody there to tell y'all, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, that's kind of how it is when it comes to Black people in general, right? Like, there's no one there to tell us how to play the game, you know? So I'll crack the code, like Trish said, um, you know, and it's like, I mean, obviously, all of y'all passed and y'all um, graduated into successful careers, which we're going to touch on in a minute. But just imagine how much easier y'all journeys would have been. Um, and, you know, obviously, I know more lawyers and they all say similar things, um, you know. So before we talk about the bar, um, Candace, you kind of touched on this about how you basically tell your friends and other associates that are currently in law school how they need to navigate, you know, um, 
what other ways have you guys mentored um, other Black women or other people in general that you know that are currently in law school or considering going through law school? Well, like I said earlier, I pretty much took it like a hand-in-hand situation. So anybody who came to me, anybody that I knew that was going to law school, even if we weren't necessarily close friends, we were acquaintances or we knew mutual people, I just said, look, I'm open and available. If you have a question, ask me. So all of my uh, my NEOs, like three of them were considering law school. They would all come to me with their questions and they'd be like, hey, I have a friend who has this question as well. So I would try to give out as much information that I had. I kept all my bar materials. I kept all my class materials because I'm, I'm a little crazy like that. At some point, I think a question is going to pop up and I'll just be like, oh yeah, I still got my notes. I got a lot of my books. I, only t- I stopped at undergrad, so I ain't do all that. <laughs> all right, so I still I, got a lot of books from undergrad that I still keep a reference from. Yeah. So that's real, yeah. So yeah. I, I kept those up and then I would just be like, here, here's what I had. Like when I was studying for the bar, I used, uh, what was it, Barbary, and I used uh, this thing called Lean Sheets. And Lean Sheets worked for me because it had like these nice little just outlines, definitions, stuff that I could pick up real easy. And so I said, this is how my mind works. And if your mind works similarly to this, then this is what will work for you. But kind of like what Bria said, you have to find what exactly works for you? Because not everybody is the same. Mm-hmm. Like me, I can look at pictures and charts and graphs. I can keep that in my mind and I'm good to go. I can just recall it from memory like that. But other people have to actually, like she said, sit down and do the questions, like actually work through them. And that's the way that they study. So I just tried to provide as many materials as I could Uh, for my law school in particular. They have this like mentor program that puts uh, postgraduate students with first year law students and you kind of just stick with them on their way through. So I do that every year as well. Uh, Sometimes I end up with African-Americans. Sometimes I end up with white students. Uh, One year I had a Hispanic young lady as well. And I just try to give them as much information as I can. I always say, you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the answer. If it hurts somebody, I'm sorry, but I'm going to give you the truth according to me and my experience. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. I'm not trying to play some mental game with you like our law school teachers did. If you ask me a question, I'm going to try to give you the information. So that's my way of trying to give back and help the next generation because it's not about me being just this great person and I want to keep my status. No, I want you to go forward. I want you to prosper and do more than I did so that now when you're helping the next person, they move the line that much further up. So that's just like what little that I do, what little bit I can offer to the situation. Um, Very similar um, to Candace. I try to let everybody know, for me, law school was hard. And now that I know the cheat codes and I got access to people and all these other things, I literally want to just give you the cheat code like I want you to tap into that locked door that they make us think we can't access so that you can be more successful than I than I was so I use myself as the example like I put it out there that first year I struggled um had to go sit with the dean it was look if you don't get it together you out of here and that Mm -hmm. whipped me into shape and it was okay well let me claw my way back let me claw all the way back and shout out to you God we got through it and got through the bar but it's very similar. Anybody who come and say, hey, Trish, I'm thinking about going to law school. Okay, we need to meet up. Let's go sit and talk. Because one thing I'm recognized as well is that a lot of people don't know what to ask. They don't know what to say. They don't know where to start. So it's 
the fact that you got to the place where you're considering law school, then let's just start from what the beginning looked like for me and my friend. And let me kind of tell you the story and walk you through. And then from there, let the questions generate themselves. Or if you're in the classes or you need the resources, well, hey, call this person. Or um, I try my best to keep and build a, what I call my Rolodex of connections to have an attorney in every field or a judge that I can access in whatever uh, practice area. So if you say, hey, I'm thinking about IP, one of my best friends does IP, let me put you in touch with her. Or you wanna be a prosecutor, I know, unfortunately, but fortunately, a whole lot of prosecutors, you call them too. Just so that you can talk to somebody, because I may not have the answer, but hopefully I can be the link to get you to somebody who has that answer and that you don't feel scared to come and talk to me about it. Um, I had, he's a mentor now, but when I was in that spot of, hey, I think I want to go to law school, he looked me in my face and told me, don't do it. He said, why would you do that? Ooh. And he's a lawyer. Don't do it. Why would you do that? You're not going to have time. Why did you do it? Like, that's what I was saying. Why did you do it? <laughs> Bro, you're sitting here. I'm in your Mercedes going to lunch and you finna sit here in my Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Why? Let me look. Is this a heated seat that I'm sitting in that you're telling me that help. we just came out of your office in the Sears Tower on the 63rd? Sir, this makes absolutely no sense. But okay, now you shouldn't do that. You're not going to have time for your family. And I think he was honestly just self-projecting his own insecurities and what he felt on me about maybe some regrets that he had and looking back at it he's one of my biggest referral sources now um but I don't ever want to stop anybody from what they think they want to do unless it's some true harmful stuff but if you say you want to go to law school okay then let's get you ready to go to law school and then if you change your mind everybody not cut out for it but I'm not gonna ever stand in your way and make you second guess that that's something you want to do because at the end of the day it has been pretty good to me that's beautiful that's beautiful yeah, same with me. Um, surprisingly, I haven't had too many people come to me um, that are like, I want to go to law school. My my main source of people I've helped have more so come from Indiana directly. So they've set up, you know, various um, little groups where, you know, students can uh, talk to the alumni and, you know, pick their brains about different questions. Um, but outside of that, I haven't, haven't, I don't know. It's not 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 a lot of people come to me saying I want to go to law school, and that may be mm -hmm. a sign of just the times. But um, uh, Indiana has a particular program that we did where you know for for people who specifically either want to come back to Texas or are thinking about moving to Texas, they will pair you with alumni, and you know you can just ask them whatever questions you have, and you know whatever it pertains to either practicing in Texas or just the law school journey in general. And so I've, you know, made myself available for that and have helped several students in answering all of their questions when it comes to, to both of those aspects. Um, but yeah, I also had a situation, it seems like everywhere when I, not necessarily when I would talk to Black attorneys, but anybody else I would talk to when it came to, you know, me and expressing that I wanted to go to law school, they would always kind of like double back, like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you sure? Sure. You know, because this is, you know, it's not what is cracked up to be. And and I and I've I've found it to be rewarding uh thus far. Um, and if you just if you have, if you're the type of personality to, you know, to to buckle down and get work done and and you know, be it, you know, want to, you know, have that challenge of what the law practice gives, then I think it is, you know for me or for someone else who has a similar mindset. Um, so I just always thought that 
you know, that was interesting and just to see, hear the projection, but I would never <laughs> tell somebody, oh, you know, like, mm, you shouldn't do that or, you know, like basically questioning, you know, their, uh, you know, their discernment as far as what they want to do in their, you know, as far as their lifelong goals. But uh, yeah. Um, real quickly, before we move into y'all careers now after law school, how many times did y'all take the bar? So, Bri, you say you took it once, right? I took it once. Bar exam, I took it once and passed, yes. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was talking about, yeah, the bar exam. Okay, okay. you was one and done, which I know yeah. ain't the case for a lot of people. Um, Trish, how many times did you take it? One and done. Okay, one and done. Okay, Candice? One and oh, done. Look at one and we got three one and dones. That's crazy. <laughs> We're Delta, sir. Look. What do you expect? That's her. I mean, look, no, no. And this ain't no not this ain't saying I doubt it, y'all. But what I'm saying is like, so I got a good friend of mine. Um, she is a lawyer, black woman lawyer as well. And uh shameless plug, she was the editor for my uh second novel, just shameless plug. Um, Put her out she, there. um she's right. Haitian, she's Haitian American, um, and she currently works down in Louisiana. And, you know, she told me about her struggles. And I'm not just putting her business out there because I know another lawyer personally, too. Both of them had to take the bar multiple times. You feel me? And it's like, I heard that some states is like harder than other states. I don't know how it go, you know. But like, you know, I just heard a lot of nightmares in regards to the bar exam. Um, I'll say um, to be a to be in the one and done club is a very big deal because it is a very yeah. small percentage of people who can accomplish that feat? I don't say that to be bragging because mm -hmm. I remembered the hell I went through to make sure that I was one and Ooh, done. Child, um, preach. It is exactly. It is. It's. It. I literally got chills when I said it because that's how crazy that time was. But there is a higher percentage of people who pass it the second time because we've looked at the numbers and the rates. At least for Illinois, I'll say for what I know it that way. Um, and I was the second to last year in Illinois, so that was 2017, that did Illinois-specific issues and then uh, the UBE portion. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So, so because before it was state-specific and then you had your universal stuff. Illinois is now straight UBE. They don't do Illinois-specific anymore. So mm -hmm. I was the second to last year that had to know technically two different lanes. So Illinois yeah. may do something and civil procedure that federally they don't do. And I had to know those distinctions in my mind because I didn't know what questions I would get, which is why I now call the new lawyers a little soft. But that's <laughs> the thing can know about, a little soft. Because um, to know that, because again, when you sit through it and I talk to friends about passing the bar and literally the hell that it was. And people kind of throw that word around. I'm like, no, I literally was questioning every single thing from should I eat this granola bar right now because I'm losing time on looking at a practice question? Oh, should I wake up oh. at 6 a.m. and start studying or should I stay up through eight? And I was blessed enough, my best friend, shout out to Paris Hackworth, who's also an attorney, who also was one and done. We were roommates at the time. So wow. I did have someone there. Now, very clear, we studied very separately. She would be in the living room, I was in the kitchen, but just having somebody in the room when literally I felt like there were multiple people talking against me in my head mm -hmm. was reassuring, like very reassuring. So I would have her, but I never figured one day we were studying, who's like, gonna take a break? So we went to the street festival, Randolph Street Festival. It was like, we had studied all day. We had studied for days and weeks. Let's just take a little moment. We felt so guilty standing in that festival and we were only there for 45 minutes. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, we should get back and we should go study. That's how like nuts that test makes you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, my one and done story was I couldn't afford to take it. I ain't had no more money. I couldn't pay for that test. I couldn't pay for the prep course again. <laughs> Shout out to Themis for getting me through. And then they threw it on us last minute. Oh, we need now $100 for you to use your laptop. Oh, yep. oh no. I'm on peanut butter and jelly sandwich number 16 at this point. Like, what 17. do you mean? 17. What do you mean? So that that time was, oh, thank you, God. It was rough. It was real mm-hmm. rough. It was rough. Yeah. Wow. Was rough. yeah. My bar experience was nuts because I started off, which you got to keep these things in mind, too, when you get ready to take the bar. So I don't know about y'all, but I was on student loans and what some people did not realize was that we are going to graduate in May. If you are living off of student loans, you need enough money to last you into practically August, because at least in my state, that's when you got your test results, like late August, maybe early September. So there were some people that were just, I mean, for lack of a better word, they were just ass out because they had not even thought about that. So that's the money portion of it. And she's right. The bar itself. So you have to make sure you plan for that, for the bar prep, for any last minute fees, uh, for getting your transcripts. That's something that ended up messing up my best friend in law school. We were supposed to be doing this together. It was supposed to be me and her to the end. And sure enough, in her state, uh, because she was taking it in Tennessee. So my year, something happened with the transcripts. And they would not go through electronically on time for a bunch of schools. And my schools was one of them. So we're going into our first week of bar prep and she calls me, she's hysterical, she's crying, she's screaming. I walk over to her apartment because we live in the same complex. And she's like, I I can't sit for the bar. They didn't get the transcripts out in time and my state is a no appeal state. So when I didn't get my stuff in on time, even though it was not my fault, everything else was turned in, they said I couldn't sit because everything wasn't in on time. So mm, she had already paid her money. Oh, already yeah. paid all the fees. Oh, no. And now she couldn't sit for it. But like my state, because we are in a state that you can appeal um, them for not letting you sit for the bar. All of us just filed the same thing and said, well, there was a glitch in the system and they couldn't get our transcripts out electronically on time. So we were all fine. So coming into the first week, I'm out. Now it's just me and her. I mean, well, now it's just me because she's done. So I'm studying by myself every day. And like you said, I'm talking to myself. I'm singing gospel songs all day. I got my schedule going. I study, go to the gym, study, take a break, study, maybe watch a movie for 30 minutes and study again. And that's every single day for like two months. Mm -hmm. That's it. And along the way, I'm telling myself like, yeah, you know, even if I don't pass the first time, like, you know, Michelle didn't even pass the first time. Talking about Michelle Ball. I was like, she didn't even pass the first time. It was fine. I'd be in good company. It's cool. Uh, Hillary didn't pass the first time. Mm-hmm. And so these are the little voices that are like in the back of your mind while you're also like trying to stay positive, trying to stay up with it. The bar will literally drive you up a wall. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, everybody hits that wall. Yeah. Like when it's just entirely too much knowledge you're trying to cram in your mind, you're mm-hmm. going to hit that wall. And then you still have to move beyond that wall. Yeah. So the bar is, it will test you in every way possible, emotionally, mentally, yeah. for some people physically, and to be able to get it done with on the first try. Because even when you walk in to take the bar, you'll see people 
who didn't pass it. I saw a girl who was in the top 10 of her class. Uh, she was two years ahead of me. This was her third time taking it when mm -hmm. it was my first time taking it. And I just looked and saw her and just thought, Why are you there's here? no way possible yeah. that you are here now taking this for your third time. That and test is the great test, divider. It's the yes. great divider. And yep. even during the test, like I had a, a panic attack at the end of one of the sessions because I was like, oh my God, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. Now, mind you, I finished my essays. Everything was done. But I was just thinking like, there's too much time left. I must have missed something. So I started freaking out. The guy next to me, we were classmates. And the second they called time, he was like, look, I wanted to help you. But, uh, you know, this, this is my life right here. I had to keep typing. But yeah, sure enough, I'm sitting there oh, rocking back and forth, breathing real hard. They had to bring me a bag. It was a whole thing. Damn. So the bar. This shit is abusive. Is intense. It's abusive. It is. It's very intense. It is. It's yep. abusive. Um, what, what was your experience like, Maria? Um, um, <laughs> I, did, I probably did something. I'm traumatized on behalf of all y'all. Like, you know, I'm traumatized. <laughs> off the story with the best friend because I'm like, you have never heard of that. Like, somebody having all of their requirements turned Ooh. in and, and being told that you cannot sit. Like, I never, I, that's the first no time I ever state. like that. And that no is feels crazy. Terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. So, my experience. I don't know about y'all, but before I before we started, I've used Barbary. Before I started studying, I actually took a road trip with my so with our soror, my soror, my spesh. We actually drove down here to Texas, and so we kind of lived it up a little bit before, oh. and then I, we drove back. And oh, we did that. I was in New Orleans for a week. Definitely did. did that. I went to New Orleans <laughs> and then came back and was like, okay. "All right, let's go." All right, y'all. Look at y'all. Y'all just out here YOLO, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you play YOLO no more, but real talk. I think okay. that that's important to have that because some people probably were sitting, driving themselves and crazy, just sitting in their apartment or wherever they were, Waiting still on campus. Yep. So you needed that release to do something fun before you went into hell month or two you know before studying started so um i used barbary i was so blessed I, before we started um before i started um studying i spoke to two uh people who had already taken it and passed it and they were telling me you know they were on par saying the same thing like this is how you need to study so i knew i was getting good getting good information um you know print out all as far as texas we had the essays and just all you know print out the essays do the essays like you just have to do it you have to go through print them all out from the year of like i don't know maybe back going 20 2008 2009 something like that go back and print all of them and get you a big old three ring binder put them in there do the test just just do them do them as you're going through your bar prep, just gotta do them. Um, and so I did that. And for me, I'm I'm not an early starter, so I really didn't start my day until probably like ten on most days. But I would stay up through midnight on most days. Um, and so I did that, and um, I too felt guilty for going out, but I made myself because I know I had to give myself a mental break. So I would just go and walk around you know, the neighborhood and get a little exercise or whatever. Um, and so that ended up, help, that helped me. And I, I really did. I'm also changed my diet, um, was really eating really clean and healthy, like the whole yes. time. Yeah. Yes. So, and I, I wish I would have did more of that just even during law school, because I think that really helped with my mental clarity. 
Um, so really, really clean smoothies, turkey burgers, <laughs> all of that, like really clean. Um, and so uh, with their help, plus then just really buckling down and doing that same routine day in and day out, I, I, I was able to pass on the first time. And so it was, it was the, the, the whole test is just the whole racket, because if you take it in a state that you're not, that you didn't go to law school in. So I'm in Indiana, I'm trying to, I'm going to practice in Texas, trying to fly. So I got to fly from Indiana. So I'm in Bloomington. So I got to drive to Indiana. So same store where I went to, to Texas with, she was so kind to drive me to Indiana so I could fly to Texas. So that's even like, that's time that I'm not studying, right? Like that could yep. be the little extra time I have that I'm not getting because I got to be somewhere on the plane driving, then going to in, up to Indianapolis to fly to get to now to then when I get to Dallas where I took the test at, um, got to rent a car, got to drive to another soror house where I stayed at. It was five minutes away from the testing center. <laughs> and then, you know, just trying to, you know, set myself up so I can be, you know, prepare for what the next days was going to, you know, have for me. Um, so just all of that, it just really does, you know, play on your, your mind and your emotions. And it, it's hard to stay strong during that time because you do have a lot of just those little people in your brain saying, mm -hmm. do you, did you really study enough? Do you got it? Do you, you know, all of that. So, yeah, yeah. that was that was my experience. <laughs> I'm happy to know it wasn't just me and my friends here in Chicago that was feeling the same stuff. I was going to say, I felt crazy because mm -hmm. none of my other, um, I would say, non-minority friends, it, it didn't seem like it was bothering them. But I so was going I crazy. Out. I have one of my, one of our good friends, non-African American, um, they just didn't, they didn't expose it. Ah, okay. But they mm -hmm. was going just as nuts as we were. So reason why I know that my best friend was going nuts was because we was in the same house with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was an occasion. Now, I think that was the first time in my life I know for a fact that I had never heard the devil speak to me ever in my life, except for in that moment. And it was so scary. It was so scary. And I was like, oh, I got to get out of this test. I got to get out because this is this is messing with me. Paris, turn on the John P. Key. Come on. We got to get this spirit flowing. Like, this is all. <laughs> Um, but talking to friends after the fact, they were going through the same stuff too. It was just, they were the ones who locked themselves away by themselves. They didn't have an outlet or they didn't see anybody. And the way that I could tell it was when we got to the testing site, they looked deranged. Mm. Mm. Like they looked like, have you been out? Is this your first time outside since you cracked open that book? Wow. Like just looking off. And I was like, yeah, y'all going through it too. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And and it's uh by the grace of God, all of y'all pass. Uh, Shout out to God. Jesus, man. Uh, so okay, because you know, I was singing gospel was music all day. Every yes, oh, every yeah. day. I have my music blasting. I know my <laughs> hated me. I was singing Kirk Franklin. All everybody. Listen, I'm singing the soloist part, the choir man, part, everything, every bit. Yeah, man. I'm glad. I'm I'm happy y'all overcame that hurdle. I'm happy that um everyone that I know. Um, has overcome that hurdle as well like so I'm glad that y'all conquered this because it, it it don't sound look again I'm basic I stopped at the undergrad okay but you know I can only talk about the a ACT I and I'm sure the ACT was like a toddler compared to this shit so you know I kudos kudos to all y'all salute all of y'all um so all right so y'all passed the bar exam you know y'all graduated now y'all licensed lawyers uh let's get into y'all current careers now um we can start with you Trish um 
are you in a private practice? Are you uh in the public realm? You know, um, tell us. Yes. How you do that. So I am in the private sector. Um, I am a medical malpractice personal injury attorney. So when people hear that, sometimes I think people don't know what that means exactly, or they think middle of the day ambulance chaser commercials after Jerry Springer. It's one of those two things, mm-hmm. um, which is not what I do at all. Um, so again, we focus on more of the catastrophic injuries and I represent the injured parties, the victims. The opposite side of me would be the representations for the insurance companies. So if okay. for car insurance or if it's the insurance company for a hospital or something like that. Um, okay. I have recently picked up and I'm being trained by, I think one of the best attorneys in section 1983. So that's more of your civil rights cases against police or so police brutality cases, which if you know have been happening a lot more publicly lately. Um, so we basically are suing cops all the time in municipalities oh. Oh, um, I love that. <laughs> for the injuries part. So okay. my focus, um, catastrophic injuries, uh, like I said, medical malpractice, wrongful death, uh, car accidents, slip and falls. I took a saying from my boss, if you call in me, it's not, it's not a good phone call. You shouldn't, you should not have to call me. If you're calling me, somebody is in trouble. Um, versus some people like, yeah, call me all the time. If you got to dial my number, something is really wrong and mm. it's time to handle what we need to. Um, the civil side is what I do. I don't do criminal. I thought I would do criminal. God bless those who do. Um, I prefer to fight over money and insurance checks, not freedom and liberty. So at the end of the day, the worst case scenario is they're going to write a really big check. That's the worst case scenario for their side. For me, Worst case scenario, they don't write a check at all, but everybody goes home to some degree of normalcy. Not did somebody not put somebody away that shouldn't have been there or okay. somebody in that like and vice versa. So that's okay. not fair. Okay. Okay. Bria. Yeah. Um, I knew going in I wasn't gonna do criminal law for that exact reason. I knew like people were like, don't you wanna do criminal law? No. <laughs> Look at Candace. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because right. I know right. half of y'all and y'all family gonna be on my line talking about some Pookie didn't did this and <laughs> no, it's a no, it's a no. Um, so uh, for me, I actually started off uh, when I got to Texas, had to figure it out because I'm coming from Indiana and back just to the law school thing. A lot of times they don't do a great job of connecting you with attorneys and law firms if you decide to go out of your region mm-hmm. um, or even out of your state sometimes. So I'm going to from the Midwest to a totally different region, the Southern region coming to Texas. Um, and so I had to figure it out. I had to, to find people who were already here to make those connections to find my first job. So I ended up doing for about six months plaintiff's personal injury work. And that was more the the car accidents, uh, wrongful death, that type of thing. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really like that. Uh, so <laughs> I actually switched to the dark side, and I actually oh, hell I, nah. <laughs> I never took that reaction. I went to work for Liberty Mutual. I you know, like I actually it. like I actually like Liberty Mutual. I like I do I like that. I like Liberty Mutual. <laughs> I like this. I like this. I like this. This is literally plaintiff versus defense right here. This yeah, is exactly yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I work for Liberty for about two years. And um fortunately Liberty doesn't pay a lot. So I had to 
mm-hmm. rethink some things. And I went and did, um, went to outside counsel and still doing a lot of the same stuff, uh, working on, you know, retained by insurance companies for the, the car accidents or the, you know, construction accident, accident cases, that type of thing. Um, and I just switched to a new firm back, um, in November where they do a little bit of employment law, construction litigation, personal injury. Um, and they do a little bit of, we do a little bit of the defense and, uh, uh, plaintiff side. So, um, I might have a chance to get back on the plaintiff side, uh, for once we'll see how i like that but for now i'm still defense counsel and your <laughs> and your firm is black owned correct correct yes black owned. that's what's up that's what's up that's what's up that's what's Deep up. Is reading Armstrong. Look him up. come <laughs> on shameless plug come okay. on okay. <laughs> okay so it's funny because both y'all was saying like y'all ain't want to go into the criminal side and obviously we do have someone that was, um, <laughs> yes, in that indeed. world so you have the floor candace all right so this is something else stemming back to law school and trying to get a job. Mm-hmm. So my last semester, I was um, interning for a court of appeals judge. And I just knew, okay, I'm working up here at this place. So I know there are a couple of openings coming up here. I should be a shoe in since I've already interned here. And no, I interviewed for multiple jobs for the entire time that I was studying. And I always just kept coming up just a little bit short. Like I would make it to the final round of interviews and I just didn't get a job. So here I am not only worrying about the bar, but also worrying about how am I going to support myself because I chose to leave home and go to school in a state with no family and just the friends I made while I was there. So I don't have an option to really go back. And if I do have to go back, I have to start from the bottom because I didn't go to undergrad in Illinois and I didn't go to law school in Illinois. Mm. So it, I was just like, okay, we got to do something. Lo and behold, right before I took the bar, I interviewed for both the public defender's office um, in a town like two hours from where I work now and the DA's office. And sure enough, when I passed the bar, I was like, oh my God, thank you, Jesus. But then remember, it's you and several thousand other people passing at the same time. So you're all going for the same jobs. So immediately I had to calm down. I was like, okay, email these people and tell them, hey, I passed. So if you have an opening, let me know. Um, So sure enough, the public defender's office still didn't have one. And the DA's office in Kansas City, Kansas did. And so I found myself there. Never thought I'd be a prosecutor because, you know, as we're growing up, we're always taught you need to go out here and defend your people. You need to help them, you know, get past the system, systems holding us down and everything else. And what I began to learn was that from my side of it, and defense attorneys may feel different, but prosecutors have a lot of power. And you can be the best defense attorney that you want to be. If that prosecutor says, I'm not offering you a plea deal, we going to trial. If that prosecutor says, I'm filing this case, Whether you disagree or agree with it or not, they're going to file the case. Your client's going to get arrested. They're going to be in holding. So now they got to worry about bond. They got to worry about paying an attorney. So the prosecutor has a lot of leverage, not to mention then with the court, most judges were former prosecutors. So there's kind of this understood trust that whatever they're asking me to do, more than likely, it's probably the right thing to do because they have the interest of the people. They represent the state of whatever place they're in. Mm -hmm. So I thoroughly have enjoyed my job. Um, I started off doing juvenile offender work 
And it really helped me see like why on the adult side, things are kind of the way that they are. Because with juveniles, you get a lot of background information. You find out if people are child in need of care, meaning they have some sort of neglect or abuse going on. You find out if they're getting in trouble in school. You find out what their grades are. You can get so much information that can help you make a decision that will not necessarily impact the rest of their life. Like you can take different avenues. Mm -hmm. When you become an adult at 18, nobody cares what you were doing in school. Nobody is trying to find out that information. We're getting, this is the crime you committed. This is the time you're looking at. And where are we going to meet in the middle? So during my time as a prosecutor, I always said to the defense attorney, look, if there's something you want to want me to know about your client, give me that information. Because I'm coming from juvenile offender where I mm -hmm. have all of that, as a prosecutor, I always said, well, let me make sure I'm making the best choice that I can. Let me make sure that I'm asking the court for an appropriate sanction or if I need to dismiss a case altogether. You know, give me that information. And that's what's made having the job that I've had. It is tough. Um, there are some cases that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I will never forget them. There's nothing like looking at autopsies. There's nothing like I had. One of my cases was a child death. That is going to be with me for the rest of my days. Nothing will ever erase that out of me. Mm -hmm. But it's a job somebody's got to do. Somebody's got to step up and get it done. So I've enjoyed my time as a prosecutor. And now, well, earlier this year, last year, I made the decision to run for judge, which is kind of crazy because in some states, judges just get appointed. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of just happenstance that I'm in a county in my state that does allow for you to run for judge and have to actually be elected. So I took that and I ran with it and I beat Whoa. an incumbent. Yeah, mm -hmm. I beat an incumbent. He had been there for 20 years oh, wow! and people just were like, there's just no way that, well, some people said there was no way I was going to pull this off. And I did. And I didn't just win a little bit. I got nearly 70% of the vote. Yeah, go ahead. Come talk that talk. talk that yes, talk, talk it. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. I was just like, all right, let's go. And now that it's here, I mean, I got my schedule for next week. I get sworn in on Monday, Tuesday morning. I got a trial already. So mm. let's go. Very cool. We're going to run with up. it. Congratulations. That's, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's that's huge, man. Um, because I remember when you first told me that you was running, like I'm like, oh wow, this is fucking huge. Um, you know, I definitely, you know, did everything I could on my end, like donate to your campaign, all that, you know, because mm -hmm. that's man, like just the fact that you know, obviously, I I'm a firm believer in judges. I like the most powerful people in this world, you know, where well, this country should I say, you know, that's just my point of view. Um, we see how the Supreme Court is operating and all of that. Um, so whenever a black person runs for judge and wins, but not only that, like I said at the top of the episode, y'all are double minorities. I mean, let's just be real. Y'all black and y'all women. And we can add a third minority to the fact that all of y'all are young too. You know what I'm saying? All, we're Thank all you for that compliment today. Yeah. <laughs> my knees, yeah. my yeah. knees yeah. don't feel young. Today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> So the fact that, you know, you black, you're a woman, and you young, and you defeated a 20-year incumbent, I mean, that's, yeah. you can't tell me God ain't real, and you can't tell me, you know, God's plan ain't real, you know what I'm saying? So that's, yeah. that's huge. Kudos to you. Salute. Congratulations. Your honor. Um, You know, that's, 
that's huge. And I know that you're going to continue to do the work. And with that being said, let's segue into uh, one of my last questions. I got two more questions left, but one of my last questions, what do you, what do y'all see y'all law career going? Like what's the trajectory, you know? So um, like, do you think you're going to pivot from the current genre of law that you all are practicing in or, you know, or are you content with where you are and you just continue want to grow in that, you know? So whoever want to go first can go first. Okay. I, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, so I'm about to be doing criminal and civil work, all of the things kind of on the front end for criminal and then for civil, I'll be doing uh, limited actions. So people fighting with the landlord about rent and being kicked out or people oh, arguing over credit card bills. Yeah. So I'll be handling that. Um, with having criminal and civil experience, I guess long-term, if I had to shoot for something, uh, it'd probably be a federal judgeship since I already will have the experience from both sides. Uh, so that's kind of my trajectory. I know my mother and my fiance, they both are like, we trying to get you to the Supreme Court. Uh, slow down, slow down. Hey, I, I, don't hey, low key, I was thinking that though. I'm like, what about the state Supreme Court or something? Like, what's up? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know if I have like the, the patience that uh, Justice Katanji had in those, in those hearings. Man. So I, you know, I don't hey. know if that's for me, okay. but it's definitely up there. So from where I'm at, uh, the trajectory is Court of Appeals, uh, State Supreme Court, federal judge, or going into the, um, I guess, the other side of the federal realm, which is making it on up to the United States Supreme Court. So that's pretty much where we go from starting off at just the district court level. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Who got next? You go next, Dark Side. <laughs> she's not gonna let this go so for me um everyone is like why don't you open up your own law firm don't you Ooh. see yourself being your own boss and i'm just like oh so i gotta worry about paying people hiring assistants doing Okay, not saying that is not is I I'm not capable of doing it, but I don't I don't see that for me not right now. Um, so for me, um, I see myself long term. Um, I want to be GC at a major company, major like Fortune five hundred company, um, in within their litigation department where I can look at cases that you know against the company and say I want to hire this law firm and the qualifications for this law firm is you have to have black people minorities doing substantive work and that's the only way you'll get work from me from if you want business from Nike or Pepsi Cola or whatever it is your law firm has to have the diversity true diversity right and yeah. they have to work on substantive projects period point blank um so that's where i see myself at in a leadership role of that magnitude um and so i just plan to do the little steps until i can hopefully get there um which is why i took this position here where i'll be getting more like law uh employment law experience which is um always crucial when you're looking at going in-house at a company they always seems like to be one of the things that they want you to know something about employment law so mm -hmm. um and just litigation experience so uh that's that's kind of where i see myself hopefully down the road okay 
Okay. Um, for me, I've already dubbed myself a plaintiff's girl. Like I really enjoy doing plaintiff's work. Um, genuinely, um, I call myself a true, a reasonable true believer. Like if it's crazy, I'm gonna tell you, look, this is not what this is. Mm-hmm. We're going to take this 10,000 and you're going to run for the hills. Okay. Cause I take it's not because thankfully it's not what you want it to be. Right. You don't want to be that hurt or that injured where now I am, you know, sitting in a mediation and we're fighting over millions to get to that point. It is, it's a really bad situation. And right. I'm like, you don't want to be in that client, situation. You don't want to be in that situation where would you need to start talking that level of money you need that in order to have a semi-regular life going forward because you now have a disability uh, or some type of disfigurement or you've lost a loved one. Yeah. People talk about it jokingly, like, oh, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I know I'm, I'm a slip and fall. But when you're really in that room, that's not the room you want to be in once I've sat in the room with people who really do need that type of assistance and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found in my years of practice that at least since I've been practicing, I have been the only consistent Black female face in this city probably almost the state that does exclusively personal injury, wrongful death, medical, that type of, that line of work. So I, I want to stay here. I enjoy it. Um, probably work myself up to be partner um, where I am, the firm that I'm currently at. I absolutely love them. I started at a smaller plaintiff's personal injury firm, loved my first boss too. He definitely set me up to become who I am now in this new firm that I've been with for almost two years. They're continuing that trajectory. Like I know 100% that they support me, my ideas, and they want to see me become everything that I say I want to be. And because they've been in the industry as long as they have, they have the foresight for stuff that I can't even conceptualize yet. Um, so very similar to Bria, I get all the time. You should open your own shop. You should do your own thing. And because I got to see my line of work on a smaller scale with my first job and now on a bigger scale with my current firm where we have 20 attorneys, I get to see the inner workings of the business. I don't want those problems. Mm. Mm. I don't want that. I don't want to worry about payroll. I don't want to worry about malpractice insurance. Um, I like knowing that if I do something wrong, which I don't ever plan on doing, I pray to God that he continues to allow me to have the track record of not having a mistake that has to involve the malpractice carrier. It's they name on the policy, not mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot, you know, there's a there's a hierarchy of people that he got to come through before he even get to me. Yeah. But just separate from that, I I feel like once you step out there and you do get your own, or if I, that ever becomes something for me, that's a space that I see myself in probably maybe twenty years. But like down where I'm able to train and teach people, not for the sake of being greedy and just wanting to hold it all for me. No, let me get this experience. Let me get this exposure um, and basically just become the household name and feed into the next because I didn't know that there wasn't nobody like me until I got here and didn't see anybody like me. Mm. And then it was confirmed from other people as they, some of them like to call it like, you're a unicorn. Like you don't exist in these spaces. So I want to be present and I want to be active in all these other places so that other black women or even Latino women or other just women of color can see that we can sit in a room with the hierarchy and the age-old tale of old white men mm-hmm. and hold our own and not be objectified and actually be respected for our ideas mm-hmm. and they okay and actually are comfortable with you being in a room and they want you sitting next to them when it's time to decide are we going to take the 20 million or is the 18 enough yeah yeah that's that's, that's powerful um and i'm glad that you mentioned that because it, i feel like it's been an underlying theme throughout this entire conversation 
about the fact that y'all are black women. And obviously, you know, let's just keep it real from, you know, law school up until y'all current careers, y'all are competing against the establishment, right? Y'all are y'all competing yeah. against racism, supreme, white supremacy, you know, uh, Candace, you know, um, they didn't believe that a black woman could be a judge in your county and you defeated the incumbent. Um, Bria, you currently work at a black owned law firm, but when you become a general counsel, obviously it's going to be a lot of white folks around. Uh, Trish, you said that it's not many black women at all. Um, in your industry, let alone your firm. So, you know, with that being said, um, can y'all briefly, but like in a powerful way, expound on, do you think this is the central motivation for y'all careers? Is the fact that, you know, somebody got to go against the machine. You know, um, you know the fact that when y'all was kids, y'all ain't seen much representation. So y'all are the representation now. Like, do you think that's a central motivation for you? Is it more to that? Like, what can y'all say to that? I'll start with you, Bria. Um, yeah, I definitely feel a responsibility and a duty um to to us as black women and to my community and even just uh other minorities. Um, I just feel like if I can articulate it right, um think when you come into these spaces you don't initially realize it how the weight kind of of, of the world kind of sits on you and how people really are looking at you to you know um just be kind of like that light and you know you, you'll hear from different areas like I, I know people will tell me I've heard I've had a couple people tell me I really that they, that they don't think that um that I am as good as what they see like uh, they see that I, I'm kind of reserved, but they see me like a, in a higher light, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I take that, you know, and I I don't take it lightly. Um, and so I know that I need to really um, stand up for my community and for other black women and show that it can be done. Um, and also, I think what kind of my appreciation for and um, is is I I was african-american studies undergrad um that was my double major in undergrad and so that also kind of set me apart because i started really i don't just this is kind of going into in off on a tangent but as black people we don't get the education to see where what our ancestors have done and how they have uh really uh, impacted the world and so when i went to western and, and did that double major in african-american studies i was really able to see the contributions of Black people and what the, we have really had to sacrifice to get where we are today. And we are truly remarkable um, in what we have been able to overcome because really we should have been wiped off the face of the earth, like especially in the United States after all that they've done to us. And so for us to have elevated to where we are and to have so many successful Black people, um, you know, and, and how we have just contributed I mean, everybody takes from our culture, if we're just being honest, like everybody, we are, we influence everybody. Yep. And so um, I truly take that. And I'm like, I have to be a part of moving us forward. I can't be somewhere in, in the back, you know, just riding on someone's coattails. I have to do the work and, you know, really help my people and help be a part of a coalition to bring us forward. So that's, that's kind of how I look at it, I guess. <laughs> um, at first, I was going to be petty and object to the use of your words, central, 
motivation because I was like, I disagree with the words, the centralized motivation, but I'm not going to be petty. No, 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 go ahead. <laughs> I ain't going to be petty. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was like, mm, I don't know if I don't, I don't know what you mean by that. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with the use of that word, but no, it is now. It didn't start off like that for me um, because who's next? I'm like, like, who's next? So once I'm out, once I'm done, once I'm retired, whether it's a direct mentee or somebody that I could say, you may not know that it was me who did it for you or created this space for you, but I can see now that instead of it just being lowly me by myself, by the time I retire, there's 15 of y'all, there's 20 of y'all and being able to just, again, be that example. Um, so that's why I try myself, I try my best to be on my best behavior when I'm in court. Um, which can be very difficult sometimes um, because when I raise my voice, the judges don't hear my raised voice like they hear Jim's raised voice. My raised voice is she's not using her, uh, she's not using her discernment or she's not being tempered versus he's just arguing the case. So um, always trying to provide the best example, whether again, it's in court, it's happy hours, it's public settings, because I just never know who's in the room especially now knowing, like you said, us being, you know, this new generation of moving people forward, especially as professional. I kind of relate this time and generation to like the transition in time and history with like the 60s and the 70s, where you had all of these successful Black people opening their businesses and pushing things forward mm -hmm. before the economy came down and like flatted us out. If we don't move it here, then I don't see where the generation after us that's obsessed with TikTok, how they going to do it? Because they can't sit down long enough to read five pages right. so right. like it's just their attention span is different yeah. we were blessed enough to come through a time in history where i remember when there wasn't a computer in the house to now i got an iphone a laptop a tablet like i remember having to go and use the rotary phone or that was yeah. that one house yeah, phone we the last generation we were the last generation of that so yeah. if we take all of what we know and push that forward and provide the example of what it looks like to be a black professional then I think everybody coming after us, they'll be able to associate that in a positive light too. Judge? Well, I'll say one of the things that uh, forced me to go ahead and run was my very first day at work in the DA's office. I went through training and they took us up to the third floor. All of the judges who have been in my county, they have their pictures on the walls and I noticed from day one, I said, wow, we've only had four black male judges. And at the time when I started, at least two of them were still on the bench. And I just said, huh, we've never had a black woman. It's interesting. I just tucked it away. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, as I'm going through my career, people start asking me, you know, when, when are your requirements up? You know, when are, when are you going to hit your five years? And, you know, you're really young. When are you going to hit 30? Like, where, where, where are we at in this process? Because we really love to see you on the bench. And I had not verbalized this out loud. So I took it in just like, okay, there's an opportunity there. Maybe, you know, 10, 15 years from now, maybe I'll run. And sure enough, as time went on, it just kept coming up, kept coming up. And not only that, but like being a Black woman in my office, the very first conference I went to for uh, continuing legal education, I was the only black woman in the room, in a room of like 200 prosecutors. It was me and my boss who is the first and only black district attorney in the state of Kansas. And I just like, I had to go to the bathroom and kind of take that in. Mm -hmm. Cause I said, you know, 
if nobody else is sitting at this table, it's going to be me. So at the time I decided I was going to be a lifer at the DA's office because if nothing else, people would see me. And then deciding to run for judge, I said, okay, this is another step, but now I'm not just going to have the regular people at the courthouse looking at me. This is going to be the community. And this is going to be the world looking at me and what I do, how I am in this position, because I am set to set the stage for what's coming after. And I kind of carry it as like a badge of honor. It is a chip that's on my shoulder. I know what comes with this, even though I'm not in it yet, but on the, I guess, just starting out. I can't tell you the amount of people that have just said, you know, I'm so proud of you and to see you do this here and do this now at your age. It's it's incredibly um, inspiring. So I take who I am, where I've come from. I take that with me and I try to do the best job I can possibly do because I am setting the stage for the next generation, kind of like what uh, Patricia said. If it's not me. I don't know who it will be. Yeah. There are people who were waiting for this for so long. And then I just ended up being the one to come in and do it. And now I'll be here, but I do not want the bus to stop here with me. I want to bring others so that by the time I'm retiring or I'm moving on to something different, there's another black female sitting on the court or another minority sitting on the court. And I can say, even if I leave, I've left it in good hands or I've left it too with somebody else who's gonna keep ushering in the next round. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a motivation. I wouldn't say central, but it's definitely a motivator for what I do every day. Because I know if I mess it up, if I drop the ball, it's gonna be just that much harder for the next person to come in after me Mm -hmm. and do what needs to be done. And not everybody, as will have like my experience as a minority, not only in the law, but as a human being. So I have a different view going through my cases than anyone else sitting on the court with me. It is a different take on it altogether. So I just carry it forward. Y'all preaching on the Sunday morning. Um, definitely, <laughs> definitely um, admire all three of you and the journeys y'all took taken. The journeys y'all continue to tread down um, as y'all, you know, break barriers, break down walls. Um, you know, it's just, it's very inspiring. And again, that's why I'm grateful that all three of you were able to make time on this Sunday morning um, to share your light and wisdom for others that uh, can benefit greatly from this motivation. Uh, I, my personal central motivation is because I feel like if I don't do it, um, I have to do it so others can see it can be done. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer though. You know, I, I study law and order, you know, criminal intent, you know, SVU. Um, but you know, so that's you know, I just like to get other people's viewpoints on like what drives you. You feel me? And I think all of you uh explained that in a very concrete way of what drives all of you. So I thank you for that. Uh Bria Little Esquire, uh Patricia Hudson Esquire, and your honor. Judge Candace Alcaraz, thank you very, very much. Um, with that being said, just real quick um, before we sign off, um, I just have a very quick question. Uh, one gotta go. Um, Judge Judy or Judge Mathis? Like, which which one? 
you know. Judge Judy gotta go. Judge Judy is out. Yeah, Judge, Judge Judy is out. Okay, yeah. so Judge Matthews stays. Um, Judge Matthews stays. You know, that's, a, that's a unanimous decision right there. It's, yeah, unanimous, <laughs> it's a given. Because everybody a crackhead. Everybody a crackhead. Now, the ironic thing about Judge Mathis is he just got canceled in the past couple weeks, but he's getting renewed for fall 2023 by the Allen Media Group, owned and led by Byron Allen, a media mogul. Now, if these stories inspired you, if they made any difference and resonated with your life, I encourage you to pass it on to a friend that may benefit from it as well. And please don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. So let's continue to imagine reality, and I'll talk to you next week.